Hey y'all, Alan here, and welcome to A Journey's Rest, a podcast focused on the vast but deep set of topics about the complexity and joy of roleplay games. Whether you need to attune to a magic item, regain some hit points, change out spells, or just reminisce with friends, here we sit down for around about an hour and enjoy ourselves. This week, Zach and I talk about people putting wrenches in our bones. Apparently, that can be a good thing. But more so, we talk about planning for your players, making sure that everyone, including the DM, is having fun at the table, and just generally what we like when we write stories for the adventurers in our worlds. So sit back, relax, grab your favorite wrench, and throw it at your nearest podcaster. Uh, wait, I don't know if I'm legally allowed to say that. Uh, okay, for, for legal reasons, that's a joke. Hope you enjoy! He's just waiting for me to say literally anything. Literally any words correct. coming out of my mouth is interrupted by Zach. <laughs> That's the only reason. I knew it. I knew I was I being am, bamboozled. I am the master of the stealth classic. <laughs> you'll never you'll never see it coming. I I have uh I've trained on the tallest mountains in the furthest reaches of the world. Just to clap. Waiting. Just to clap. <laughs> and scare the fucking shit out of some birds. I just, my favorite pastime is walking up to a flock of small birds and then just yelling at them. Clapsack! Clapsack. And that's it. And then they fly away and I'm elated. Thank you. Thank you, birds, for giving me joy. And thank you, listener, for tuning in to the podcast once again. Yeah. I am very excited. We are back. I am Alan. I am not. His name is Zach. Uh, we are going to be podcasting today about planning around your players as a BLM. A DM. Oh, bing bong. GM. My, do, you yeah. see, do you use DM or GM? Um, I use DM most of the time because I play right. mostly um, Dungans and Dargons games. So... Right. Uh, I usually use DM, but I guess it probably makes more sense for us to use GM because, like, this our topics aren't necessarily just about D and D; they're about kind of like role play games in general. So, yeah, no, DM is like such a niche term, but I, I use DM just because it's more kinky. Oh, sure, master, sure, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I like it. I like it. I, I mean, that makes sense, right? Yeah. Have you ever Have you ever met anybody who went by Dragon Master? What is that a thing? That would be fucking dope. No, I just thought of it, but I think that'd be cool. Uh, yeah, uh, retcon right now. Every time I have previously said DM, <laughs> it's me saying Dragon Master. That's it. <laughs> Perfect. That's how you become cool. You just retroactively find out about something. <laughs> Wait, no, you can say, be anything. Oh, I was, that was always me. I was always doing that. What about Dog Maestro? That's cool. <laughs> or Dude Meister. Okay, well, now you just can't think of more words now. Or dork mongrel. (laughs) 
Oh no, I like Dorkmonger a lot. Actually, I'll probably use Dorkmonger from now on. I'm losing it. I'm losing it. Okay, 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 okay. Well, we have to actually talk about the the topic of the podcast at some point here. We right? do. I mean, at some point. We could I mean, just... what is time really? I don't. It's just. Oh God, is this the second intro? <laughs> It's all intro. The Our fabled, whole podcast is intro. The, the fabled second intro. Yes, we've had first intro, but what about second intro? If everything's an intro, then nothing no. is. <laughs> it's all intro? Always has been. <laughs> oh, God. Dreams! Dreams? What? Dreams? Dreams? Wait, we were talking about planning around your players as a DM. Yeah, well, so this relates very specifically to me because I recently kind of... Looked at what I do as a dungeon master, or as a as a what was it as a du- dude mongrel? No, uh, yeah, it wasn't that. It was um, um <laughs> it was something close to that. You just take um, any D word and any M right. word and put them together. As a dad, as yep. a dad, as a dad meister. Right. Um. No, I I tend to give people dreams. My players specifically. I. I I do have the ability to give other people just randomly dreams, but I don't use that as often because it's not as interesting. But the the problem is I'm very predictable, and I hate that. I don't like being predictable, and it's bad to be predictable. But if I have a player who's been in more than one game with me, and they get a dream, or anyone in the party gets a dream and they find out about it, they instantly know, oh, that is very important, and like, that was probably the main villain or that was like some key event or a key location or something like that. And that's probably not great. I don't know. I, but I that's like I, part of how I plan, you know? I would argue with that, actually. I think that giving people consistent and understandable, um, you know, like foreshadowing is mm-hmm. really helpful because then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, this is what Zach's trying to aim for, right? And then I get to see, okay, well, cool. Right. This is something that Zach has an interesting idea for, and if he's thought about it to where he can essentially distill it down to a dream, where it's Mm -hmm. like, you had this really interesting interaction, then all of a sudden I can get the idea for what you think is cool about it, so that we can maybe both aim there together. Mm. I think that's a good way to do it. Honestly, I think being predictable in those type of situations sometimes can be a real boon, because... You know, sometimes players don't know where you're going, and if you can give them an insightful information into where you're going through something like a dream, I think that can be really valuable. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that leads into another topic that's that's on the little list of, like, ramshackle topics I wrote, which is the unknown and how predictable it is. And so, thank you, first of all, Alan. That's It's very kind words you're saying to me right now. Um, uh... Let, let me bring up an example. It wasn't a dream exactly, but it was like a dream reader in a campaign that I began and sort of ended and kind of is maybe possibly in... It's in limbo right now. Um, the, basically, there's this character with the secret, as all good characters have. Oh, yeah. Um, and they encountered this person named Mealy who is uh, kind of like a, a mystic, a fortune teller of sorts. Um, and that person gave them this foreshadowing. But this is a player who's been in my games before. 
Yeah. And this is kind of what made me realize how I'm predictable like this is because I was trying to be mysterious and like, you know, like, ooh, here's this like really weird person who speaks in this really strange, like, kind of like canter, right? I don't know if that's a word that I can use. Sure. There, but I'm yeah. Going to anyway. I, the, the intent is understood. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and instead, the player more than the character that they were operating would kind of just got mad. I was like, why are you speaking in riddles? Just tell me what, what's going to happen. And I was like, uh, 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 the, Wait, what? because they don't know. And like, I, I think it was a failure of delivery on some level on my part. I was kind of just uh, winging it because I didn't really upsetting. have that planned. Yeah. Well, you know, these things happen. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm over it, but I want to learn from my mistake, you know? So, that has to do with planning around your players. I had a loose direction that I knew I wanted to take this character, um, and that was a part of it. But I've had so many other characters who had dreams that were prophetic, pretty much all of them. Mm -hmm. So then it becomes... That's not bad in of itself. That's cool, actually, to get a prophetic dream. I mean, that's that's interesting. But it's gotten to the point where it's become a trope in games that I run. Uh -oh. So, yes. So now this player who's seen her previous characters and other characters that she's uh, played with in previous games I've run have dreams that all meant something mm -hmm. and were all important and often weren't just a dream. We're actually like an alternate plane of reality or something like that. Now they're wise to it. So now that player is like, okay, well, you're giving me this weird information, and if this was my first rodeo, I would probably be more into it and more like like take what you're saying at face value a little bit more and not necessarily read into it super hard. But I know that Zach, the DM, <laughs> it, instead it broke the immersion, right? And yeah, and that was partially due to delivery. But yeah, but it was like I know Zach, the DM, always does this with dreams. No dream is ever not important in Zach's campaigns. So I know this dream or prophecy is important, and I know that this lady could be more specific. I know she's talking about something real and tangible, and she's not just, like, pulling my leg. And, like, because of that, I'm getting frustrated with her instead of being mystified by the mystique. Because the mystique Woof. So Woof. That's crazy. That's like some weird metagame shit. Yeah, it is. And I, I don't really think it was intentional. It was just like a whole subconscious thing that was going on. Yeah. Um, I certainly don't blame the player. No. And yeah, honestly, I mean... it kind of led me in an interesting direction as a DM because I had to adapt. So yeah. I had to be like, okay, well, that completely did not work and backfired entirely. But on some level, that's a challenge to me as a DM to be more original and to yeah, be like, totally. okay, so now this can't be what I was planning it to be. It has to be something else. Right. Totally. And I've like twisted it, you know. So, that is a great segue, or a great intro, I guess. A great o o opening. A third intro? It's all intros. It's all, all intros. It's just all intros. <laughs> um, at the end of the podcast, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to intro the end of the podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a great beginning to this topic today, planning around your players as a DM. Yeah. Um, I had to... I, I had something planned for that, and I didn't really plan around the player. I just sure. told a story, and I wrote a story down, and then it exploded in my face, and I fixed it. 
Do you find it's more easy to DM with people that you have known before or uh, or have played a lot of games before or just a couple games before or none, none at all? What, what do you feel about that? Because I feel like there are certain pieces that I can really give to players. Like, for example, like one of my players right now, um, you know, Barry's playing in one of my campaigns. I know that Barry likes to forge things and make things. You know what yeah. I mean? He likes to be able yeah. to customize stuff. That's one of Barry's most favorite things, right? Like when he first came into um, the the very first campaign that we all played together where he played the drag, the gold dragonborn and I played uh, Keelik, the, the monk, right? Um, mm-hmm. I remember the very first thing he wanted to do was be able to craft armor and he got like, he got so upset because he was like, I want to craft some armor and you're like, you don't have any of the materials and he's like, I go buy the materials and you're like, no one sells them and he's like, I go and slaughter a cow, tan the hide, <laughs> like strip right. it up and make some fucking armor and you were like, all right. And it took him like half an episode. It took a long time. Yeah, and I was like, to do that. I can't believe he did that. And you, you were like, you, like I think you were just like, this is not important. Please, it's not important. Let's just keep going. <laughs> and he's just like, I'm gonna freaking do this. I'm gonna make some armor, and that's that. And then now I was just like, and okay. he did. He, he did. Some very he really nice did. Cow armor. Yeah. He really did. But, like, that was one of, like, Barry's favorite things, right? And so I know, yeah. like, I can add things that have customizability into the game. And he'll like that totally. a lot, right? You can um, cater to that. Exactly. There are certain things like that that I can I can definitely cater to. But there are also other things where, like, Barry sometimes knows how I'm going to DM a certain encounter, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, that's not all the time. I think... Uh, I've actually kind of tuned into him a little harder than he's tuned into me. Um, mm. Because I will be in his game and I will say, Barry's going to do this next. And then Barry's like, no. And then he'll scribble something out on his paper. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then he'll he'll turn around and he'll be like, this happens. I'm just, and Barry, I know you're listening to this. I'm just poking shit, man. I, oh my this God. Def- that's me so often, though. It's Holy definitely shit. happened the other way around, too. So. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean no, that that's happens. Literally, the this exact situation and I I brought up with yeah. with me and this this fortune teller. I was like, ooh, this, and the, and then the player was like, okay, so this is gonna happen. And I was like, no, uh, uh, no, no. <laughs> Fuck so, you! Yeah, I mean, you like, know. <laughs> what do you what do you think about DMing for different players like that? Because I'm I'm sure that mm. this is one that I've played with this person before, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So then, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know who it is. Um, yeah. But I, I would say then, yeah, like, what do you feel about, like, are there certain things in games that you can give that player that you feel good about? Or are there certain things that you're like, wow, I just can't put this in front of them? Like, what do you think about that? Uh, I think it, that playing for a brand new player, or DMing, sorry, for a brand new player that you've never really, don't really have any experience with, uh, presents a different set of challenges than playing totally. with somebody that you know really well totally. for the, exactly the reasons you just brought up uh if you have played with somebody a lot you know what they like more probably um yeah and you're able to cater to that more and make the game more fun for them which is great because that's exactly what the game's supposed to be but at the same time you got to be really careful and inventive and tricky to not have your storytelling get stale to them because they'll start to pick up on shit in my situation I have really DM'd a lot of one shots and and like harvesting campaigns and whatever. So yeah, maybe my my like playbook, as it were, as a DM for storylines is uh, a little shallow because 
the same tricks work on everybody because it's usually new players what that I'm playing with. So hmm. when I get repeat players or a long-running campaign, that shit starts to become predictable and I have to change it up a little bit. But that's actually huh. good for me as a DM. I just have to adapt and, and, and learn, you know? Yeah. I think there are, there are great things in running uh, stuff like that. Challenges with, with those type of things um, pop up all the time, right? Like when you mm-hmm. when you try and, you know, do a new set of players, it's like, oh, I can run like an old trick or something like that, and they won't right. know, you know what I mean? But when you right. have a bunch of players that you've been playing with for a long time, you're like, oh, my God, like what do I do every time? I got to try new stuff out, you know what I mean? Just try and make totally. keep it fresh, you know? And so, um, like, for example, in the next couple episodes i've kind of introduced this a couple episodes back but i introduced this like hangar of airships in my campaign and i was like look at all these seven different airships and i gave them designs for all of them and i gave them the money to purchase any one they wanted and i was like okay cool this would be dope um but then basically it was just like you know Here's this here's this inciting possibility for you to go somewhere and I'm just like, yeah, I've never done this before, so I should probably try something new, you know, like give them the yeah. option to go wherever the hell they want or That's pick cool. whatever one they want, you know? So like I'm trying to find ways to make it more interesting in that sense, I guess, but like, you know, yeah. just give them like new places to go cuz I feel like sometimes I'll do these like quirky animal characters and then I'll be like, "Oh, no, I did that before. <laughs> this is not yeah. as cool as I kind of wanted right, it to right. be." Right. <laughs> and then you got to change it up somehow yeah. or do something new. Yeah. I yeah. will say I will say um there is a trade-off to this, which is like um I'm going to use the age-old example of critical role. First campaign critical role was a lot more standard than second campaign oh yeah totally you've seen because those players are so good and so focused and and have played with matt for so long yes he definitely has had to get more inventive and and he's the tone of campaign two has changed a lot which is really good because it has it has put kept them on their toes a little bit more but you still spoilers for a moment, I don't know exactly what episode it is, but it's fairly late in the campaign. As um, long as it's not last week's, then I'm fine. There is there is a particular scene with a witch and Jester Lavore mm-hmm. where 100% one of the players just got the better of Matt. Yep. And in a way, it actually, or not in a way, it 100% was better because of it. Oh yeah, totally. The DM... When you play with players for so long that they start to learn how you run your game, that actually can be good because it means that they can function more like a real person and sometimes not be at a disadvantage, you know? When you're playing with new players, they're almost always at a disadvantage. They never see what the big bad evil guy is planning because they don't know how you're going to plan it yet. But when you run a game for so long that the players start to learn about that stuff and start to see how this particular world functions and how... Uh, uh, they, they basically become able to predict stuff like that. So that can actually be good. Maybe it's, or not maybe, I, I think my opinion is that it is definitely better for the players to be able to find some common ground, to be able to pu- pull a fast one on an NPC sometimes yeah, totally. and stuff like that instead, you know, um, there yeah, are no. good ways to do it and bad ways to do it. And, and yeah. Yeah. 
So that that's what I have to say about that, I guess. No, what yeah, do you think? I honestly, I've I've really tried to find new ways because, like, so for example, um, uh, Bonk, uh, or mm. uh, you know, she has been in a couple of my different uh games now and she kind of knows some of the npcs that i run and how they how they operate and i'm just like yeah i, I feel myself like it, it's weird because i've got two people in the campaign that i'm currently running that i've played with before and two people right. that i haven't and so there's like this weird mix of me trying to like put in the wonder of some of the cool stuff that i've put in the game before and then like also doing a little bit of fan service for the people who have played in my games before because it all happens in the same world um, mm. So, for example, there will be references to one of my old bad guys. Uh, his name is uh, Kurath Malhidalga. There will be references yeah. to him every now and then. That's cool. In one of my campaigns. Continuity. Yeah. And then there will be also references to, like, someone in uh, the campaign that I ran called Ebonvale, right? There will be references to someone there. Um, for example, yeah. I don't know if you remember uh, Zanvorn, Bonk's character in, in Ebonvale. Um, I do, yes. I but do. her sisters are currently in Lefwakesh in the other campaign that I'm running right now. Uh, oh, they are cool. they are mech or they're both artificers. So um, one of them basically they they're both battle master or not battle masters. The what is it called? The one where they have the little dogs that run around with them? Yeah, either way. Um, they build like Beast Masters? No, it's oh god, I have the book right next to me, so I'm gonna look it up. Okay. Because if I, I don't, will, then I'm going to... I will play some elevator music. No, hold on. It's going to be like five seconds. Stop, stop, stop. I can do this. Oh, God. Oh, no. He's oh actually... St- Battlesmith. is horrible. Battlesmith. Battle- Battlesmith. So, but for example, on Battlesmith, um, you can build like a small companion, right? Like, a, like either a dog or like a bear or something like that that goes with you. Okay. Well, instead, they're both Battlesmiths, and they just combined their creatures together to make a mech suit for one of them nice and then the other one just flies around on these rocket boots that they have so basically um they take the homunculus option for one of their uh infusions and then the homunculus for both of them just became these rocket boots for one for each foot of the other so they're twins and they they basically just like do different cool artificer stuff that's cool how they share class abilities yeah i actually i really like that and i wish that honestly i wish that was something that i would have done more with barry when we were playing malak and raven um but Mm. you know things happen that way sometimes yeah um that would have been cool but uh nonetheless so i would i'm just like trying to like pay a little bit of fan service and you know do a little bit of that while also trying to like give the new players cool things um so like for example one of them has a um what they would believe a demigoddess uh that they report to um, by writing meetings in their planner and then going to their demiplane and having meetings with them. And so I get to oh, do just like cool. one-on-ones with them every now and then where they yeah. sit on a beach uh, and just talk to each other for a moment. And uh, that's cool, you know. Uh, and so I get to do that. And then I'm like trying to cool. find some stuff for the other player. I really, I think I've got some cool stuff in pl- in, in the pipeline. But like it's a little bit of all of this um like this mishmash of stuff and I can find myself preparing for the different players differently um, because I can find things that they will enjoy in different places. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. that totally makes sense. Yeah. It, it, and it's a different challenge for all of them, surely. Right. Because some of them have, since they played with me before, 
fan service works better on them. Whereas, right. you know, uh, players that haven't played with me before, fan service works worse on them. So Yeah. No, totally. I mean, that's that's like... It's, it's not an inside joke, but it's like an inside reference kind of right. that yeah. new players are just not going to get. But no, I get that. Um, so kind of like related to what you just said, how how do you plan your story arcs? And I know that's an enormous question, but oh, specifically boy. what I'm getting at is like I, I think I have seen you do story arcs that are technically kind of dive like divided divided what am i talking divided that are divided from the players that like maybe there are threads relating the players to this main story arc but it's not directly involving them have you done story arcs that are directly involving them and like what's your favorite way to do things because i've done both as well yeah and i've been thinking about it a lot with this new campaign that i'm kind of designing and it's i don't know honestly i've been planning to ask you this question for a while yeah, I mean, I think it's hard, right? Because I th- I really want to do things where it feels like the world is larger than them, but I also mm-hmm. want to do things where they feel very important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I kind of, for the lack of a better word, I kind of like, you know, blew my lead on this a little early in, in the Lefwakesh campaign that I'm running uh, right now because I kind of had planned for this bad guy to be kind of this looming force for a little while longer, but then they were like, yeah. oh, cool. Like, we're expending all of our resources to save our friend from this bad guy. And I'm like, man, why would I not reward that? You know what I mean? Because yeah. they put a lot of effort into it, but it kind of, like, stinted my original plan, right? And it's fine. Yeah. Uh, I just had to come up with a new way to make it interesting again, um, which I think is coming totally. up. So no spoilers yet. But um, I- I've done it in a way where, essentially, I try and create a couple threads that kind of go out and and do stuff on their own and then i create a couple threads where they're directly related to the players right and Mm -hmm. so i have to sometimes find where to commit and where to not commit on those because for example i'll create all these threads and i'll say okay here are the different places that this could possibly go right and so um like like i'll have three different threads that we're working on, right? I'll have one that's directly connected to the players, one that's like moderately connected to the players, and one that is tangentially connected to the players. And right. then I, sorry, go ahead. Were you saying something? No, I just said right. Oh, okay, cool, cool, In cool. In a weird way. Uh, um, so I, I will then say, um, you know, for example, this thing will happen no matter what, if the players interact with it or not. Maybe. You know, like, cause it's it's a yeah, big maybe well, yeah. all the time because, like, I will I will say this is probably going to happen, but if the players do something that makes me reconsider that, of course I reconsider it, right? Of course. Um, yeah. and I think that that's really important as a DM. Like, committing to things is great, of course, because you really want to be like, okay, well, I'm not like playing favorites. The world exists and it is harsh and is cruel sometimes, mm-hmm. but um, there are other times when the players just do something and it's way fucking cooler than you planned. Because you're only one person, and they're players, you know what I mean? And the players right. surprise you all the time. And so then, Wrenches into bones. Yeah, exactly. There's wrenches into the bones. <laughs> and no one is going to understand what no the fuck I gonna... just said. Well, yeah. Uh, context is that you get no context, listener. Um, so, uh, yeah, basically they just keep throwing wrenches into your bones. And sometimes yep. their wrenches are cooler than your bones, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so you totally. just have to be like, okay, well, it technically happened, but it happened in a different way that makes it cooler and more related to what's going on, 
right? And I will I will do that all the time, right? So I will say, for example, in, in the first campaign that we had, you know what I mean? Um, I will say, here is our, um, here is our main, uh, like, kind of antagonist, uh, Lancelot, and he kind of became this mysterious creature, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, what the hell? This guy is a rude dude, you know what I mean? And then, like, how do we investigate this stuff? And, like, originally it was uh, Lancelot was... I think, like, I kind of set him up to, like, possibly be a bad guy. And yeah. and then all of a sudden there was this, like, much larger kind of necessity of creating a force that was greater than Lancelot. Because Lancelot isn't, like, he. I didn't give enough information about Lancelot. And then all of a sudden they, like, you know, the players started speculating about, like, what's going on and kind of how everything's yeah. working out. And that I said, speculation can screw you over. It can as screw a DM. you over, but it can also give you so many good ideas. It right? can. It like can. so. So for example, like it was just like how is Lancelot and the Volcanic Conclave connected, which was a conclave of Illithid, um, and so like how do those things kind of fit together? And then all of a sudden I came up with this idea that he used to be a part of the conclave. And then, you know, that kind of came together. Um, and then it, you know, that was kind of early on. But, like, how it was all inter interconnected yeah. didn't really exist at that point. And then right. the way that everybody speculated kind of gave me ideas for it and things like that. And so It's like procedurally generating a storyline yeah. where part some of the people who are helping you don't really know that they're helping you. Yeah, like I have this loose thread of like it will go from this point to this point. I know that there right. is going to be a bad guy that is going to be trying to sacrifice all these cities to make these philosopher stones to try and do something nefarious, right? Um, yeah. That was my loose storyline, right? I know that that was that was it, and there are going to be Illithid involved, right? They're the lackeys of this bad person, right? Mm-hmm. Now the the other stuff, like you know, the nine books, uh, or the I think it was seven or six books. I can't remember. I think it was nine. It was a number of books. It was a, there was a number of books that were like the 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 essence of creation, right? And mm-hmm. the, and eventually, I was like, ah, yes, the goal is to create these. Um, these philosopher's stones that then pull these books from the deepest realms of these like eighth dimensions into our reality, right? And so I was like, oh wow, that's actually really cool. And so then I ran with that, right? But I had only gotten there at a point where like I had like started to look for what could possibly be different storylines in different places based on how the characters interact with the world, you know, adding things in. And making some of the pieces of their backstories interconnected with this main bad guy along the way was something that I intentionally did, right? Yeah. Trying to trying to weave in their backstories into this big bad guy made, yeah, made the it players more to interesting the, to the story. Exactly. Yeah. And so like cool. taking that loose thread, tying the players into it as we go was way more fun than just saying, these things are happening outside of your control, you know? And obviously it makes it for, like, a less realistic story, but it mm-hmm. makes it for a much more interactive and fun story, I'd say. Um, yeah, I agree. So, I yeah, agree. I think I procedurally try and have this overarching idea, and then I throw things into it as we go um, and try and connect the two as we fly. And sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. But yeah. most of the time it feels better for trying. Have you ever, uh, I feel like I'd know by now, but maybe I don't. Um, have you ever really, really fucked yourself with that yet? Because I've, I've, oh man, Alan, <laughs> I have definitely done that. Where I'm like, I establish a precedent early on in the campaign, and apparently nobody forgets about it except for me. 
And then later on, I'm trying to weave the story and adapt the story exactly like what you're talking about yeah. to have it be more interesting and to play out this speculation the players have. And then I introduce a new factor and it directly contradicts with what was previously known. And they're just like, wait, what? And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one. I'm not sure if I've had it directly like kick me in the ass yet. Um, but, man, no, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's kicked me in the ass really I can't hard. Wait. I It'll really, happen someday. I really want to hear what yours is, though. Mine is Demians, dude, from Edia. In one of the earlier campaigns I ran, um, basically, uh, one of the players was a Demian, and I said that was cool, and I had forgotten that all the main bad guys were Demians, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> In a very strange way, I was like, yeah, there was, like, this ancient civilization. No, it wasn't that all the main bad guys were demons. It was more that, de- like, they had arrived at a certain time. It, it, it was timeline stuff. So it yeah. was like, okay, so there's this other continent, and that's where demons are from. And it's surrounded by this magical hurricane that is ceaseless, so they can't sail out of there. And it has been that way since the giants occupied the world thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. So, obviously, no one could leave. And then one of the characters was like, I want to be a demon. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. You can be a demon, and even though we're not on that continent, because at one point, demons left that continent and came here. And he was like, oh, okay, so I'm like a pilgrim. And I was like, yeah, sure. I had forgotten that that happened also thousands of years ago. So there's no way he could have been a first-generation immigrant. Sure. <laughs> Didn't make any sense. He had come to this, and also, if he had, the the main villains, all the bad guys, were in that group that had come to the New World. So then I oh, had yeah. to make a second group that actually came a long time ago, which he should have retroactively known about, but then I had to come up with reasons why he didn't know about it. It was a fucking mess. It was a complete mess. I there was, you go. I was like, man, I really said yes when I should have thought about it <laughs> a little longer, huh? Yeah. But, Is uh, that why we were like, okay, you came on the first one, and then, like, there was a bunch of memory loss, and then... Yeah. Yeah. No, that was that was with you guys that had it had already happened in a previous campaign worse. So then for you guys I was able to play it up a little yeah. bit more and that was not a mistake on my part. That was just me retreading my old steps Good. as I want to do. Yeah. But um Was that Halix? Specifically that was Halix. Okay. Halix was like, wait, so Ceres is also from Ceres was the main bad guy. Ceres is also from this like group of Demian pilgrims, and I was like, um, no (laughs) i had to like come up with this whole thing about like no that was thousands of years ago and you didn't know about it because demia didn't want her children to live in the darkness so she erased all of your memories about saris and that regime coming to the new world yeah it was it was a mess. Oh, so no. okay, so the timeline was demons got in a war with the Maijang, with the storm giants. The yep. Maijang created this giant whirlwind, and they were not able to leave their continent after that. All the demons on the mainland died out uh, due to the war with the remaining Maijang and other stuff. Orcs are dangerous, is the moral of the story. Um, and then uh, two thousand years before the campaign began. A uh, group of of 
there was like this warlord, uh, uh, there was this war that happened between the demons, and one of them was this person from House Ceres, and they fought this giant magical war, and, oh man, now I'm forgetting my own lore. So, I don't know, a bunch of stuff happened, and somehow or another, they wound up coming to the New World, which was Southern Gallia, because Carthen, yeah. which is the continent that the uh, demons are from, is in the South Pole. Yep. So they sailed north found Gallia and landed there and established a civilization there. But this was also kind of fucky because one version of my lore had them fighting the Maijang during this time, and that's when they established all of that, and then another version of my lore had them not. And so then I was... But then in my in the back of my head, I knew that Demians had come to Gallia at some point. I right. didn't realize it was 2,000 years ago. So then the guy who played uh, Halix was like... Hey, can I be a Demian? And I was like, yeah, that would be super cool. You could be a Demian. And he was like, okay, so how do I get to Galia? And I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. There's this group of people who came to Ga- of, of Demians who came to Galia. And he's like, oh, okay, so I'm a first generation immigrant. And I'm like, sounds good to me. <laughs> and uh, it, it shouldn't have sounded good to me. Have you ever? So that's, that's oh, a good example of me screwing myself over by trying to bend the lore around the players. Yeah. And then having things get muddled. What I really should have done is I should have just made everything more vague after that and been like, Mom, you don't know. Yeah. History's weird. People forget stuff. Yeah. I actually And that would have honestly been okay, but Yeah, I totally agree. I, I've actually been listening to um a lot of Morrowind lore lately. Fun mm. fact. And so so something that um that really struck me at one point was that the the people at um what was it, as at Bethesda, they yeah. had no canon, like um, no canon actual set of events for the Battle of Red Mountain. Right. And so, what happened was they just had a bunch of different people write their own version and then like write the characters that came from those versions. Right. And and then they just put it into the game. And, yeah. and then they basically said it all kind of reconciles and then becomes this timeline because they had something called a dragon break at that moment in which right. like all these different timelines happen at once and then all come back to the same point and then everybody yeah. remembers the events differently, right? That's one of the most well-known like fantasy fourth wall breaks that I know of or, or like canon fuckery yeah from that yeah that totally. was that i know what you're talking about and that shit is crazy and honestly i've started to consider trying to put that into my game because like the thing is mm. that's crazy it's and, really cool and and it makes it feel like so alien right because yeah. then all of a sudden you can actually try and confuse your players with the truth but it's a different truth than what they know right so like so you could say this this happened you watched it happen how does this yeah. happen, right? Like, that there's no right. reconcilable way for that to occur in the same amount of time, right? You're really then, making me think of, like, SCPs right now. Yeah, and and so, like, you could do that and then essentially just start to make this, like, weird time-based stuff, right? Totally. And And I think that's an interesting way to kind of, like, retcon the situation. Just continuously tell your players, this is what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm not telling you how it happened. I'm not telling you where it happened right. i'm just telling you 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 know you experienced this this person experienced this that's what's going on i'm not telling you that they're reconciling it with yours in any way i'm just telling you how they said it right yeah and so no, honestly, sometimes, i love i love fucking with that stuff it's great. yeah 
I think honestly, sometimes that's that's kind of a cool way to kind of reconcile two different possible threads of coolness and allowing them to exist in the same space. Um, And I think I've got some cool ways to do that in this current campaign that I'm running because one of the players, uh, Barry, is actually running this this custom race that we have called a Kalari. And um, they are they are basically uh, they mess with dimensions. Right. So like technically his character, Radriel, um, uh, he experiences the world in five dimensions but like he currently exists in the four dimensions that we can perceive. And so everybody else is like, what's going on, Radriel? And he's just like speaking to them at like, hello, you small 2D peasant. I am speaking to you this way. And it's just like, yeah. it's it's crazy. But then also I can use that to kind of be like, oh, time is we- really weird. You know what I mean? So Yeah, no, that's cool. I like that a lot. That's very so, cool. So, yeah, I think I, uh, that's a really cool way to increase that that potential possibility for vagueness and you know, non-linear storytelling. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm also have been planning a lot more things to play around that. One of my, uh, one of my all time favorite SCPs is like a really heavy lore SCP. Uh, for those who don't know, SCP stands for secure, contain, protect, but it's kind of just like a creepypasta. It's like a, a unnerving yeah. story that's written in this very specific way. Uh, and is put on this pod or on this website called, um, uh, the SCP website. Isn't it like um, SCP and Project or something? I can't remember. Something like that, yeah. Um, and one of my favorite ones is uh, the city, the floating city of Autopapadopolis, which basically is this huge lore dump, and it's this super ancient abandoned city that, like, was supposedly one of the first, like, the first city or something like that, and it basically tells, it brings together all of this medieval and biblical and Greek and Latin lore, like, mythology but tells it in this super alien way and like represents it in just like this really unnerving contradictory um literally impossible way for instance it like brings in a lot of like one of the major facets of the scp universe um if there is such a thing is these various gods one of them is this entity that is basically a being and as soon as you know about it it wipes you from existence um and so obviously that's like a very dangerous entity but one of the crazy things about this city is that there's a mural of that entity so obviously it is possible to know about that entity without being erased from existence because there's a mural of it in this city in this abandoned ancient city and there's literally no explanation beyond that it's just there you know, so like that kind of like weird, surreal, contradictory um, type of thing is I'm, I have played with it before, but I'm looking forward to diving into that a lot more with the current campaign that I'm running, because that is one of the major things that I like to do as a DM. That is one of the major ways that I plan around my players is I, yeah, exactly what you're talking about. You provide them with evidence of something, or you have them experience an event, and then later, they give them completely contradicting evidence. Yeah. I think I mean, probably the most, like, classic example of that is death. Like, they sure. watch a character die, and then later the character is revealed to still be alive somehow. Yeah, totally. I, I think that that's a, that's a super awesome way to just, like, allow things to be crazy weird. Like, just say something stupid, and then your players are like, that doesn't make any sense, and you're like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you know. 
Yeah, but like, just know, just straight face it. Just just like, don't yeah. don't do anything. Just straight just straight mug them and just be like, all right. Yeah, that's if that's what and that think. encourages your players to speculate, but also to kind of still remain open to any new information. Yeah, you know, so that that uh, kind of gets into the topic of favorite kinds of characters to play slash DM for. And we've definitely covered this kind of topic before, but yeah. I specifically want to relate it to stories and storylines and, and planning around them. Yep. Um, so one of my favorite kinds of characters to play, this is, this is one of the reasons why having an actual backstory and having an actual character um, as a player of D&D is so freaking important. Because if you don't, then everything has to be about you. Right. Right? It's so prevalent to to see characters in this game who they don't have enough of a personality or background or history to care about anything outside sure. themselves. Yeah. You know? And that's that's or or even if they do have a backstory, it's I see it very frequently where there's like a player who completely tunes out Unless it's relating to their family or their job that they used to do or yeah. them directly or a relationship they used to have or something like that. And one of my favorite kinds of characters to DM for and also one of my favorite kinds of characters to play is somebody who cares about stuff that doesn't necessarily relate to them. Somebody yeah. who, I don't know, does research or has very strong moral ideals or uh, is interested in a certain kind of thing and will go out of their way to learn about it. Mm-hmm. So... What about you, Alan? What are your favorite kinds of characters to, I guess, write a story for? No, I think I think that's actually really a, a great point. So I currently have this character that I am writing. Maybe I haven't given enough credit to the player for this, actually, truthfully. And, and I think this is great. Th- these type of discussions really bring out this stuff. And oftentimes I feel like yeah. the discussions that we have make me a better DM. Um, totally, I agree. But I would say right now I have a player that I'm DMing for, um, and he plays a character named Citigal in my campaign, and uh, it's like critical, but just without yeah. the R, Citigal. Um, and uh, and basically he, you know, was a goblin, and he was his parents were attacking this boat that basically got sunk and you know he was only a baby at the time so the leader of this naval ship that sunk the goblin ship was like well we can't just let this baby die it's never sinned in its life you know so right you know they took they took him on and basically raised him and then his name became citigal and so over time you know this person was like cool like i have that backstory here i am i'm coming to do this thing and my current quest objective is this right and that was cool, and then, uh, like, some things happened, and it's kind of, like, meandered from there, but then, ultimately, I just keep asking, like, you know, what knives can I twist? I, I always have this kind of, like, concept of player knives, right? Like, Yeah, and so I saw that Reddit post, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, forever ago, and I've talked to people about this. It's a great way to explain it, but basically, it is. there's a certain number of knives that I want to be able to have that the player hands me and says, says hey cool can you stab me with this and and i love that i love that concept so much because ultimately those things that those characters care about those knives right so they they made them exactly right they made those knives right and so i want to say okay well this character handed me the backstory of you know they have this big bad person that they got their powerful magic from okay well cool i can stab them with that knife you know what i mean 
Um, yeah. I just didn't feel like I had nearly as many knives for Citigal as I did for the rest of the people. But Citigal is so interested in everybody else's story. And that's mm. amazing, right? Because so then it becomes their knife. Exactly. So they're basically like forging these, like a lot of small knives, you know what I mean? And so they've got a bunch of them that, that kind of go into different places, right? And so maybe this is a new challenge for me as a DM to look for these knives that yeah. are being created instead of the ones that they may have given me with the backstory. Because I feel like sometimes I focus a little too much on the backstory knives. And I gotta, yeah, that's fair. I gotta kind of like look for these knives that they're making themselves, right? Because like, it right. could be possible that yeah, your backstory like blah 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 that interacts here, right? Or maybe it just freaking doesn't, right? You know, maybe right. we just we take the knives that the players are currently giving us and we say, here's the interesting stuff that they are currently looking at. Right. Twist those knives, right? And so I think that I, yeah, I'm learning a valuable oh. lesson right now of like just like look for all of the knives, not necessarily just the ones that they they give you at the backstory, because those ones are super valuable, right? But if a player plays mm -hmm. differently and says, you know, I want to create my knives in the story, showing people why right. those knives are important to me, then that to me, I feel like I haven't been giving enough credit for that, and right. I think that I need to get better at doing that as a DM. Because um, I think Citigal, first of all, the player is fantastic. All the players in that game, uh, Rizwin, Citigal, Radriel, um, Razia, and even Fazim, who left us a little while ago. Love you, Fazim. Um, they're all fantastic players, but they're giving me... I think Citigal just gives me knives differently, you know? And that's yeah. okay. And I think that I haven't been giving him enough credit for that, truthfully. Yeah. I am a barbarian outlander now show me uh something that i care about because i will right that's exactly. that's too too often somebody who doesn't have a backstory who has a very shallow backstory or even a deep backstory but that's just completely tied up and like everybody's dead or there's no there's no threads to pull on there um that that can kind of be cast by the wayside but it doesn't necessarily have to i mean if the player i i think i agree with what you're saying if the player expresses interest or or has experiences that are tying them to the world in game that's just as valid and in some cases totally. that probably is even more like effective towards them yeah and, and i mean oh gosh there's a difference between like a player saying okay i have no real backstory what i don't think citigal has no real backstory that's not where right. i'm getting i'm just saying it doesn't have a lot of knives right citigal has a great backstory right. um but uh but nonetheless, like, there's a difference between a, a player saying, okay, you know, here's my backstory. I don't really care about it. Like, I'm just a dude. I come from this place. Whatever. Let's play the game. Let's kill stuff. Right. Yeah. There's a difference between that and me having to, like, force him to – or, sorry, force them to like something rather than, like, me being, like, here are a yeah. couple interesting things that I don't have to, like, like hardcore shove you into liking. And mm -hmm. then them saying, oh, great. Like, what is this? Right, and them showing interest that also drives me as a DM, um, because if I if I show like that barbarian something and they're like, whatever, like, yeah, can I kill it though? Like that's you know that's right. not nearly then as that's exciting. Empty. Right, that's exactly the problem. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Totally. Um, hmm. Yeah. Cool. I so, like it. Yeah. How, how do your how do your games? Uh, we have another point in here that I kind of want to talk about. How do your games uh, kind of like? Have you ever had a game where 
you know, that, that lore kind of falls apart, right? But, like, have you ever had a yeah. game where it's so just completely deconstructed that you're just like, I have no freaking idea about where to go forward with this campaign? Have I ever had a game like that? I probably have had one shots like that that just got totally out of control. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I've ever had a game that had the lore deconstructed that hard. Yeah. Um, I've definitely had plenty of games where it was the opposite problem, where I built the lore up a ton and I was super excited about it and then the players just didn't touch it or didn't give a shit about it and it existed in spite of them. Yeah. Um, but I think that, I think generally when I am writing a storyline or creating a world or something like that, mm-hmm. um, I think I've realized this. I kind of keep the players stationary. Sure. I don't really... Like, like, there's this image, I think especially with a lot of people who play D&D but don't DM, there's this image of the DM who's, like, anticipating your every move. I'm not that at all. Sure. I'm really not. I have a really hard time anticipating people's emotions and reactions and stuff like that. So I'm almost like, okay, take the player's emotions, put them in this little box, and assume that I know nothing about it. Yeah. <laughs> and then they will be here, and I will tell this story... Almost as though they're like a video game character, and I have absolutely no idea how they're going to react. So because of that, oftentimes I will plot out a whole storyline mm-hmm. and then be like, all right, there it is. I've plotted it out. And then when we start playing, it gets totally derailed. Yeah. And I'm actually okay with that because that's kind of the point is I can't like plan for every single possibility that the players are going to – or for like every single thing the players might choose. So in general, I think um, – that yeah. tends to be why I create things that then get ignored or don't end up being that important is because I don't necessarily craft my stories and craft my um, my game under under the assumption that I or, – or like trying to plan around the players. Yeah. I just have the players bash through it. Sure. Basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I that's I, that's part of the reason that I think I've never had the lore get completely compromised like that is because when it does get compromised, usually I kind of just adapt and I sure. shift yeah. and I rewrite stuff because that's what I'm good at. Oh yeah. So yeah, um, it is a lot of like, I mean we've talked about this before, but it is a lot of the whole like yes and that's totally. where the improv as a DM comes in the most is is your characters or your players shatter your plans. Oh yeah. And then you go, yeah, and then this happens and you just keep fucking going anyway yep. and just roll with it. Oh yeah. Um That's cool. I like that. Totally. You brought up a little while ago how like you had that major villain that you were introducing that kind of like fell flat. Yeah. I've definitely had that happen before. I've had the opposite where like they never well, I've had the opposite actually in the most recent EDIA campaign that I ran with you, where yeah. you guys just never really rose up to meet the final boss. You, we didn't get to that level. And that was, there was a whole bunch of stuff going on there. That was mm-hmm. me failing to adapt to the players for sure. But um, another good example of that, I think, is um, once again, campaign two of Critical Role. There was uh, this whole huge conflict that was. Very climactic, but also kind of always in the background somewhat, and it affected a lot of things in the world, and that was very atmospheric, but it was built up as this thing that no one could ever do anything about, and then they did. Yeah, oh, are you talking about the war? 
I'm talking about the war. Yeah. And that was just everybody that blew everybody's mind. Yeah. I think when that happened, I was just like, wow. All right. Okay. Damn. Uh, and I kind of get the feeling that maybe on some level, Matt was also doing that. He was like, well, yeah, I mean, everything I, where we are is crazy, but I can look backwards at all the series of events that have happened here uh, with these characters and with this game. And it's all congruent. Like everything makes sense. I don't think there was any point where we made a giant leap that didn't make sense, you know? Yep. And that's that's tends to be how I run my games as well, is is when I set up a huge obstacle but the players just fucking overcome it. Totally. Then I'm like, All right, yeah, you did it. Yeah. Um, you did more than I expected. Yeah. So. I know yeah, totally. I was just like, Wow, okay, I guess you guys just win. Good right. enough. Which is right. you know, that's, it's not that's bad. That's like thing. uh Oh shit! We brought it up. That's like the inversion of what Austin brought up a, a couple weeks ago uh, of like Tucker's Kobolds. Yeah. And, which which the whole concept behind Tucker's Kobolds is that um, even though they're very low level monsters with the right planning and the right like actions that taken by them, they can be a very dangerous and legitimate threat even to very high level players. Totally. The inversion is also true. No matter what your obstacle is, if the players are smart and and uh, resourceful and you are fair as a DM and don't screw them over for no reason. Um, and perhaps if your players are a fair bit lucky as well, they can, they can overcome pretty much any challenge at pretty much any level. Totally. And you shouldn't expect CR to dictate when they fight the red dragon, you know? Yeah. You never know. D no, is a crazy thing. And you know, honestly, like I've had to throw higher CR um, like, you know, creatures at my, um, what's it called? At my players recently, because ultimately mm-hmm. I will look at them and they were like level 10. And I was like, okay, yeah. they can't possibly beat this person. Right. Let's this right. CR 15 creature. And they were just like, blam, blam. And they, none of them died. None of them went down. None of them, <laughs> none of them even lost like up to a seven or like three, four, three quarters of their hit points. And I was like, right. Okay. I guess the blame, this, blame is legit, man. Yeah, and I was just like, I, I guess, I, I guess they're just really good at this. And so, like last session, I was just like, okay, you know what? Here's all these cool things you can make this as hard or as easy as you want based on everything. And then all of a sudden, like they accidentally stumbled their way into a fight that had 37 creatures in it. Oh and, my god! And then they killed half of them in one spell. Oh my god! Yeah. Barry basically cast reverse gravity and just made them all fly into the air very tall. They took 10d6 fall damage, and then he just dropped it again, and they took 10d6 fall damage on the opposite end. Boom. 35 of them dead. Jesus Christ. And I was just like, all right. All right, then. There we go. (laughs) I, I feel that. And I'm doing something wildly inadvisable in the campaign that I am about to run, which is CR does not exist. Ooh. I'm just going to make a bunch of monsters and enemies and stuff, and they're going to be all fucking over the place in power level. Yeah. And uh, they're just going to be out there. So that's yeah. that's how that is. You can run into anything at any level, and that's fine. How do you plan for your players like coming up to an insurmountable force? Well, I think from past experience, you can probably guess that I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, in reality, I typically try to come up with a reason why 
or a way in which the players can fail and have it still be epic and still have the story go on in some way. Um, or or have some really huge consequences without just dying and having the game be over, right? Yeah. Like, th- so what I'm referring to for anybody who is, like, left reeling from what I just said is the end of the Edia campaign, which we've talked about on this podcast before, where uh, they fought a warlord named Ceres, who was the magical amalgamation of a long, long, long line of um, very powerful spellcasters and warriors and and military people, basically. Yeah. Uh, uh, conquerors, specifically. Yep. And they, they came up against this person with all of the minions that they had um, and all of the power that they had when they really weren't ready and they, they maybe yep. you understood what you were up against. Maybe you didn't. Uh, but we, it was also out of game. Yeah. We just propelled didn't have time. by time limit. Yep. Yeah. We just didn't have time. We and were literally playing during the summer, basically just being like, okay, in order to finish th- this campaign, we have to meet every other week right. for eight hours on Saturday. Right. And I shouldn't have done that. I should have just been like, you know what? Saris is there, but that's not the main arc. You guys can do whatever you want. That was my mistake. And I really regret that because I think it could have been a much cooler campaign if I had done something different. But um, yeah, it was tragic for sure. But I mean, it was it interesting. Was. And I think afterwards, af- like after we've all had, you know, you know, wow, really close to a year and a half now uh, to mm-hmm. think about it. I think I don't feel nearly as bad about it as I did when we when we played it for sure. I think it was definitely a learning lesson for I think all of us. Right. So, you know. Yeah. So so. I guess my big takeaways from that conflict, from that fight, was I knew you guys weren't going to win. Or I had a really strong feeling you weren't going to win, but I didn't know how bad things were going to be. So it could have, it would have been really easy and really simple and probably very realistic for you to go up against Saris and Saris just fucking, like, cloud kills you, right? Or sure. something like that. Just, like, wipes you all out in one turn or in two turns or something like that. And you really, it's clear very quickly that you have no chance and there's no escaping it and it's just over. Right. But instead you had some powerful individuals with you. Um, and I made things, I decided to make things more interesting. Um, yep. It probably would have made more sense for Ceres to just kill you, but instead Ceres used an epic level spell called greater dispersion, which ultimately did result in the death of most of the party and the ruining of the party and an enormous sacrifice being made, which we've talked about in our previous podcast. Mm-hmm, I need to mm-hmm. go over that. But that's that's how I went about having you guys lose. Yeah. Is I was like, okay, you're vastly outclassed here. Maybe you know that. Maybe you don't know that. But I know that. But instead of having it just be, oh, you're dead, I'm going to make it interesting. Yeah. And I'm going to have you guys be humiliated and terrified and and confronted by the vast difference in power level difference in strength um and and have that be the threat right uh and i think it i think it worked well i would have rather had that be the one third part of the campaign yeah if that makes sense the, like totally. if all if that whole campaign had been the first third up to that point then it would have been fucking nutso because then some people may have had to make new characters or certain storylines would have had to have happened, but that would have kind of been the catalyzing incident for you guys really seriously going after Saris after that. Yeah. Because, um, it, it, 
a tragedy like that can kind of like bring things together. And you'd already had one where Zerus had killed a NPC friend of yours who yep. was kind of the first and last person to be super actually genuinely nice to you guys. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so so that's how I, I guess, plan around that. Plan around my players for that. And I try not to have that happen, but that's also a lot about description. And I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, to a certain extent, that's only within, um, that's only within your control as a DM so much. If you play up the red dragon, the entire campaign as this big, bad, terrible force, but the barbarian still isn't afraid and still heads into it head first, even though they're like level five. Yeah. I mean... What are you going to do that, about that? Yeah, is that your fault? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, I... um, In Avatar The Last Airbender, literally the entire show, the yeah. Fire Lord is built up as the big bad guy. Lore-wise, I don't know how much sense that makes. I mean, yes, really? Aang is a child, but he is the fucking Avatar. He's the master of four elements. There was never any way another Bender was going to defeat him. Well, it was all um, about, you know, Sozin's Comet coming to make him be just as right. powerful as the Avatar. Right, and I mean, that's that's definitely true. Um, and I think thematically it worked fine. And the reason it worked... What, what I'm getting at is the reason it worked really well is because if you just look at the straight lore, Sozin's nobody. Or Sozin. The Fire Lord is nobody. He's some firebender. He might be really good at firebending, but he's nobody compared to the Avatar. The Avatar is this ancient figure, uh, the the connection between the spirit realm and the real world. The you know the the com- combination of all four elements. Right. Whenever was any firebender going to be able to defeat that? It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. The Avatar can enter a state where they draw on the knowledge and experience and power of literally every Avatar before <laughs> them. I I. From a lore perspective, it made no sense. But the reason that functioned, the reason that worked, and the reason that final battle was so climactic, and the reason that Aang didn't just go take out the Fire Lord in the beginning of the show is because it was played up well. Yeah. And it was because it was literally the whole world was constructed around this person, this one individual, this Fire Lord. And the Fire Nation was made out to be the villains, and you it was present pretty much in every single episode. Like yeah, this totally. constant pressing force of danger and threat. And so yeah. that built the Fire Lord up as a worthy foe and as somebody that Aang wasn't going to be able to just fight and win. Yeah. Um, and there was other factors in there as well, like Sozin's Comet, like you said, and stuff like that, and also the Eclipse. And they he did try to go take out the Fire Lord when he thought he had an advantage. Yep, um, and he failed. Yeah, yeah. And, and so... I think that, for me, is a really good study of why it is, like, it's cool to have your villains be super intimidating and scary in appearance, but it's mm-hmm. way more important to have characters who are scared of them or who serve them and who, like, like to see their influence on the world. That's how you make someone scary. And that's, I think, what I failed at somewhat in in edia i i told you out of game a lot and i i had some areas where you guys were like i I was trying to scare you like an earlier npc an early an early follower of saris was named narox and was this other 
kind of situation where it was <laughs> this long line of warriors. And that was supposed to be a really scary fight that you guys were going to mostly lose and have to flee from. But instead, you pulled out the stops on this one <laughs> particular thing you had and annihilated him. Literally right? stops. Uh, yeah. Liter- it, was a cor- it was a cork and a potion yep, bottle, yes. Yeah, exactly. um, it was basically like, you're probably going to lose this fight. And I said, well, if I'm going down, I'm going down in a fucking blaze of glory. And I pulled out <laughs> a meteor swarm potion and just uncorked it and just tossed it around and just stood laughing next to Narox <laughs> as we just fucking died. <laughs> and yep. and then, yeah, we got, like, teleported away somehow. I think Narox teleported us away, oddly enough. I don't know. Either yes, way. for reasons. Because you guys had previously been servants of Ceres and yeah. stuff. Anyway. Yeah. Lore. So that, yeah. So that undermined, not, not be, like, and that's okay. It, but it undermined the threat of Ceres. What I should have done is followed that up with other things that were not easy to defeat and and continued to impress upon you the danger of this person. But yeah. instead, I kind of set up these arch nemeses for you and uh, Raven. So Raven had Braxith and literally looked forward the entire campaign once they found out that Braxith existed to fighting and killing Braxith. Yeah. Which is maybe not something you want for your villains. You kind of <laughs> want your heroes to dread coming into contact with them not look forward to it um i don't know i think there's also a good part into like like creating this divine sense of desire for fighting and killing that villain yeah i don't know no i i agree i agree i don't think maybe they're not as mutually exclusive as i presented them as but what what i'm trying to get at is um he wasn't afraid sure he wasn't apprehensive of whether or not he would win the fight with braxith at all in, in fact, in Raven's case, he was looking forward to the challenge because he didn't really feel much else. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't I, I didn't make the villains scary enough in that campaign so that when you came up against Ceres, I see you understood the breadth. Like if you come up against somebody that you can't win in a fight or that you're not even close at winning at beating in a fight and then that person is really afraid of somebody. Yeah. Or if that person's really afraid of somebody who's really afraid of somebody. Like that I, I think something I'm trying in this current campaign I'm setting up for and kind of running is um to have that. To have literally like tears and tears and tears and tears of people. So mm-hmm. the players will encounter this this organization and they will fall somewhere on that on that tier where like, you know, Finding the mooks should probably be relatively easy, and they should be able to win that without having it be major, like majorly climactic. But then mm-hmm. there's the leader of the mooks, and they're like, "Oh, okay, well, like f- that was a tougher battle." And then there's the leader of the leader, and the leader of the leader of the leader, and yeah. it goes up and up and up this ranking, basically, in, in power level and in threat until you get to the big boss. I I want that, and that's what I think I failed to do properly in um. In Edia. And I, I think that specifically lends itself to like a, um, I don't know, a, a military faction, I guess. Sure, but yeah. there's other ways to do it. You where can definitely do maybe it for a the, lot of different ways. You can. Like M- maybe the, the really scary villain that you're trying to build up doesn't necessarily want to kill the players. They want to do something else. So they have this overwhelming power level, but they're not specifically going for the kill. Yeah. That's a good way of getting around that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So... <sighs> that was a long diatribe. What do I you like think, it. Alan? How do, how do you build up your villains in a threatening way, in a in a way that makes people respect them properly, I guess, and and give them the appropriate foresight? 
Well, I have I have a kind of a dichotomy with this, right? Because there's a certain point where I was like, okay, cool. Here's my villains. Here's how it ties into all your backstories, and here's like how all of your problems have been caused by this villain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've done that before, but also my yep. players also liked to call Kurath Malhidalga Kool Aid Man, and yep. so it was. <laughs> it was, you know, the the play the characters didn't. You know, they were slightly afraid, but I think the players, like, kind of liked to poke fun at him because, like, right. you know, it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, sure. All my bad, all my bad guy names are, like, really big, like, things. <laughs> and then and then it was just, like, it's kind of like this dichotomy of, like, oh, I don't know if the players are necessarily as afraid, but they at least, you know, they, they play their characters like they're slightly afraid. Or maybe mm-hmm. they, you guys called him Kool-Aid Man because you had to, like, find some sort of levity in the moment. Um, right. Yeah. Who knows, really, truthfully. But I think honestly, like trying to tie it into as many of those knives is what I try and do. Um, try and mm-hmm. finding, trying to find those knives and pull them together and make them right. feel kind of like powerful um, is oftentimes the way that I try and do it. I'm trying to find a way in in D and D to to do things differently than that. But I think that's a good strategy, right? I would love to find a way to make it more, like, more. Uh, organic maybe is the right word um but i've yet to find it and i'm still trying to get there and you know what um i will find a way to kind of put those things together um but right now i think i'm just i'm still learning so that's okay though i'm I'm excited to learn so yeah yeah no totally i i think uh that's a big challenge as a dm is telling a story and creating characters that execute the way you want them to totally you know Yep. I, I think the biggest thing that we can kind of pull away from today is we have a lot of ideas on how to do this stuff, but we're also like still learning. And if you ever come to a point where you as a DM are like, I'm done learning, I'm just DMing, you are wrong. You need to step back and keep right. th- like inspecting your own stuff and keep learning because that stuff is important. You always want to be looking for ways to improve, ways to learn, ways to find out better ways to um, yeah. To, to, to tell your stories and to incorporate your players into those stories. So, yeah. I think that's very well said, Alan. Yeah. And I think that's an excellent place to end this particular episode. What? We have to stop? I thought we I would just leave this recording for the next eight hours or so. I am introducing the end of this recording. Oh, God. Welcome to the intro to the, ex- well, the outro. To the, the intro to the outro. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's good. Um, that was a fantastic discussion. Zach, thank you so much for coming on here and talking with me, my homeboy. You know it, man. All right. Yeah, I, I love it. Right, this time. is uh, this right here. This is actually the intro to the rest of your life. Oh, wonderful. I mean, technically true. So, yeah. Yep. Well, he- hello, everybody. This is the intro to the outro and the intro to you being done listening to this podcast. So uh, enjoy the rest of your day, um, and we will talk to you another time. Okay? And don't forget to keep introducing everything, because it's all... It's all... It's all intro. All right, bye, everybody. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. The fact that you have made it here to the end means the world to us. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with your friends, or if you have the time, reviewing us on Apple Podcasts is a great way to show support. You can follow us on Twitter at A Journey's Rest, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash A Journey's Rest Podcast. If you have any questions for us to answer, you can send them in to journeysrestpodcast at gmail.com. 
Thank you so much for sharing the precious pieces of your time with us, and we hope that the rest of your day is just as wonderful. See you again at our table soon.